The first reading today is from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 4 and 8 to 11. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who seek them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garment, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all nations. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading is from John chapter 1, verses 6 to 8 and 19 to 28. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? 
John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptising. Thanks be to God. May I forever speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Whenever I have heard our reading uh, from the Gospels for this morning, it reminds me of one of those chants you hear on the football terrace, when the striker has been bragging to the press about what he will do to the opposition defence during the game, only to prove each time he strikes the ball that he couldn't hit a cow's bum with a banjo. The crowd shouts out, Who are you? Or, from my neck of the woods, Who are you? Every time he shoots and misses. The crowd attempt to dismiss everything about the player. Who are you? You are a nothing. It's the exact opposite of when celebrities phone up a restaurant wanting the most desired table in town, expecting that their status will ensure them all manner of privileges. Don't you know who I am? How mortifying it must be when the answer comes back. No. As an aside, I find this with the celebrity versions of reality shows such as Celebrity Big Brother or I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And I find that I've never heard of any of the celebrities. I don't know who they are. And I have a suspicion that most of the time no one else knows who they are either. Who are you? ask the Levites and the Pharisees, the important, respectable people. They ask it because they are worried about the celebrity status that John has acquired. People are flocking to him, so they feel threatened by his popularity, and they seek to dismiss him. Several times they challenge him, Who are you? Who are you too easily becomes, what are you? Every pollster, every advertising guru wants us to identify with a group or a social economic uh, construct. And we live in a world of identity politics where we are categorised by our football team, our political party, our gender, our sexual orientation, the colour of our skin, our roles as parent, grandparent, or according to the politicians, our nationality. With the recent US elections, it was interesting watching the confusion on the pollsters' faces. Well, everyone in that type of demographic should vote a certain way. And it baffled them 
that people might make their own decisions based on a wider array of reasons than they were contemplating. Who are you? If I were to answer, most of the time, I'd give such answers as a Liverpool fan, a Londoner, a middle-aged man, a son, a brother, a husband, a clergyman. But none of those actually really get to the utter core of my identity, my deepest beliefs, anxieties, worries and dreams. And I suspect that the Pharisees and the Levites weren't really asking John, who are you, but rather, what are you? They didn't want to get to know the real John to find out who he really was. Instead, they were there to assess whether John was a threat. And if we diminish him enough, then we won't have to worry about him anymore. It's the tactic that every bully and every torturer has used over the years. Who are you? Let me sow that seed of doubt into your mind. Why do you think you have the right to do this? To be in this role, to say those things, to speak out on that subject. Who are you? You have no rights. You are not worthy. The trouble is that it is not just bullies and torturers who challenge our identity and our feelings of self-worth. Too often, when we look in the mirror, we ask ourselves the same question, the one that the Pharisees and the Levites keep asking. Who are you? And often we will dishonestly reply to that question. How often do we allow the internal voices to drown out our sense of self-worth? Those incidents we are ashamed of, the times we are supremely embarrassed, those moments we lie to ourselves, feeling trapped by our weaknesses and peccadilloes, those times we know that we have supremely messed up. So much so that we allow those weaknesses to multiply and to paralyze us. And so the internal voice says, well, if you messed up then, then you will mess up now. We look at others and assume that their lives are perfect. The ones who seemingly are so wholesome and pure and aside from the fact that we find them a bit irritating, we're often intimidated. And so we shut down. We do not speak out. We hide away inside. Who are you can so often lead to crushing levels of self-doubt and even self-loathing. And then on top of that, there comes the the Christian baggage about being holy, calm, well-mannered, organised and respectable. And we look at ourselves and at times we find it all too much. We're trying to please everyone, to keep up with the Joneses, to make everyone think we are who we are not. Perfect and highly organised when deep down we are spinning lots of plates and waiting for them to fall. So how do you find strategies to ignore the people who constantly put you down, who find the means to trample the seed of doubt before they grow into the weeds of angst? And if you do know such strategies, then I'd love to hear them. Into all of that, who are you and who am I? There comes that other big question, 
what could God possibly want with me? John responds to all of this with utter humility and yet complete self-assurance. He knows who he is. He is one who is called by God, loved by God, on a mission from God. He isn't the Messiah, but nor is he a very naughty boy either. He will not be diminished or ignored. He has a purpose to fulfill. Faith tells us that we are enough. It speaks back to those voices to say, you have a purpose, you have a role, you are loved quite apart from your failings, your strengths, your darkest thoughts, your nastiest moments, your greatest accomplishments, your noblest ideals, and your proudest achievements. John comes with one purpose, to tell us to get ready for that love which becomes manifest in the world. The word that was there at the beginning and will be there through all our lives. Lord, for that word, the word of life which fires us, speaks to our hearts and sets our souls ablaze, teaches and trains, rebukes us and inspires us. Lord, for that word, receive your people's praise. So when you have your dark nights of the soul, When you are in that time of seemingly endless waiting, trying to work out who you are and what you ought to be, hold on in faith. You are a child of God, you are loved, and God is about to show the fullness of the divine love through the Incarnation. Faith tells us that our worthiness is not found in our business, our success, but in accepting who we are, and what we have always been, children of God and totally loved. So may we feel God's love and purpose for our lives, this Advent and forevermore. Amen.